Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, a local member of Hamilton's business community is going to commission a number of studies together with contractors and engineering firms to investigate the $5.5 billion number that the Ontario government is using to cancel the LRT project here in Hamilton. And on that topic, did Mayor Fred Eisenberger hide a private meeting with Caroline Mulroney? And a majority of Canadians think that food prices are rising faster than household income. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's get back to the big story that we've been talking about all week, ever since we uh, got the bombshell announcement, of course, uh, from Caroline Mulroney, that uh, they were withdrawing funding, the $1.3 billion uh, for LRT. Uh, the business community are other people in this. As we mentioned when we were covering the story initially, uh, this is more than just a political decision. This has huge implications to economic development and certainly to a lot of the development that's going on downtown. One of those uh, companies that is affected, of course, are our good friends at Leuna. Uh, Joe Mancinelli is the international vice president and the regional manager for Central and Eastern Canada and a proud Hamiltonian. And uh, he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Uh, first of all, Joe, thanks for coming in. Very busy time, and uh, I really appreciate you coming in here today. Good to be here with you, Bill. What was your reaction when you heard the news? Well, I haven't been hit by a car, but but I know the feeling now. <laughs> and that's what it feels like it, uh it was uh, a pretty traumatic experience. Uh, first of all, not knowing in advance, not having an opportunity to look at the numbers. Uh, we didn't have an opportunity to consult. Um, that is the part that I think most folks are finding most disturbing, uh, is that the province uh, came into the city uh, and just made an announcement that they were canceling without any real backup, without any consultation. And it's pretty disturbing. And, you know, why come to Hamilton for that? Just, you know, why not just stand in the stoop of uh, Queen's Park and make the announcement? Coming here, and it was just the most bizarre circus type of, uh, of atmosphere, and presenting numbers, numbers that make no sense. You know, where did that $5.5 billion come from? No backup, uh, padded with all sorts of things like operating mm-hmm. expenses that quite frankly, were never discussed in the past. So it, it, it's a bit of a shock, not only because of what they presented in the cancellation, but how they did it as well. By the way, the reason I wanted you to come in here, obviously, because Leona is a player and has been. I mean, you you guys were investing in downtown Hamilton when investing in Hamilton was not cool. Uh, you, you started, of course, with your office on Houston, uh, Leona Station, of course, uh, the Lister Block, and, of course, this mega project that you're doing right now on King Street. So uh, you've, you've got, uh, as they say, chips in the game here right now. Uh, the thing that I'm always frustrated, and you know much more about these business things than I do, Joe, is that if the province had some concerns, was there ever an opportunity for them to sit down and say, wait, the guys were kind of concerned about this, bring the players to the table, and let's see what we can do? Well, I think that that would have been a logical approach, and that's why so many folks like myself are upset. Uh, the province should have called the stakeholders, the, the municipality, of course, the city of Hamilton. But you have three proponents out there. You have three consortiums that are bidding on these projects. Don't you think that the province would have at least waited 90 days for those bids to come in and then see real numbers? And this is a, a, a government here in Ontario that, that talks about free enterprise and talks about the marketplace all the time and let, let's let the market uh, dictate you know, how to do things. Well, they didn't wait for the market. They chose to preempt uh, 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 coming forward with a, with a fictitious number, a padded number that uh, an independent... uh, third party was supposed to come forward with 
and, and, and didn't rely on the market. They should have waited 90 days for these proponents to come forward, bring the real numbers forward, and at least that way it would have had a, a, an era of legitimacy because, you know, it was real. And so now folks like ourselves who had relied on a commitment are building two twin towers on King Street right in front of the route of the LRT, but we're not alone. You know, there, there are companies that bought the Eaton Center that want to yep. build on that. There are Darko Vranich is doing a, 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 another rental just down the street. There it's are another, s- another phase of the canal too, isn't there? Of course. Yeah. And, and, well, there's all sorts of developments. There's all sorts of investments, millions and millions that have been made. And all of these investments have been made in Hamilton that were contingent on the LRT coming. And so it's not just us that are upset because of the thousands of jobs that are being lost because of this. And, and we're legitimately upset because, you know, Leona was going to build yeah. the, the LRT. But it goes way beyond that. It goes to all of the investments that have been made and all the folks who are relying on, on good news and moving the city forward. Because this was a symbol. The LRT was a symbol of progress. Of, of, of Hamilton moving into a completely different era. And here we are again with the same old nonsense in politics, you know, and putting Hamilton down when every other municipality in the province of Ontario is getting an LRT, whether it be Mississauga, Brampton, Toronto, uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, and Hamilton once again gets screwed. Those other communities you mentioned where there is either an LRT that's there now or it's, it's, uh, it's being developed and, and in some cases actually construction's underway, are all more expensive than the Hamilton project. Yet they didn't they didn't red flag any of that. They're, they're going forward on those. Absolutely, and and that's the biggest problem here is that that I think the the province misunderstood that people here in Hamilton are watching very carefully and do understand that there are other municipalities that have LRTs that are much more expensive than Hamilton. They understand that we had to beg the, pr- the provincial liberals to get this off the ground. And I'm not sure why we have to beg for anything in this community, but it seems like we have to all the time. Uh, the fact that there's politics at play, I-, I think that most of us understand that the LRT is running through the riding of the opposition leader as well. Yep. And so there are a number of, of problems with coming a week before Christmas and canceling a project 90 days before the proponents are, are going to submit real bids. Look at people in Hamilton aren't stupid. We're smart enough to understand that this is absolute nonsense. This is a political play because they didn't want to invest money in Hamilton. Now, you've had some conversations with uh, those three consortiums that are, are interested in, in bidding on this, haven't you? I have. Uh, about what the minister said the other day. What, what, what was their opinion about the numbers that she presented? Absolute nonsense. That $5.5 billion is absolute nonsense. The proponents um, have real numbers, and they've been working on this for quite some time. They're not an independent third party. They have engineers involved. There's numerous companies that have... Uh, come together in each consortium. Uh, They have estimators, engineers, uh, um, international players as well that have been looking at this with a fine-tooth comb under a big microscope and have real numbers. All of them are saying that the $5.5 billion is absolute nonsense. It's padded. It's padded with operating costs, with maintenance costs. Uh, it's, It's not real. This was fabricated in order to kill the project. And, and these are people, just so our listeners are clear, that have done these sorts of projects before. 
Uh, you know, they, they know an apple from an orange. They can tell what's false and what's bogus and, and what's realistic about this. So you got to figure that's an opinion that has to be weighed into this discussion. Well, these companies have done work all over the world. Uh, they're international players. Uh, we have a relationship with all of them. We understand and, and uh, uh, agree with their points of view because we know the experience that they have. They've got enormous experience. What experience was this third-party independent uh, person? What experience do they have in, in estimating an LRT? You know, I'm going to question that, and I think that, that before this is all over, we should ask for every piece of information that led to the conclusion of $5.5 billion. We should dissect it under a microscope and see exactly what they've done. And this is going to be embarrassing for the government because the truth is going to come out. It always does at the end of the day, and they shouldn't have done such a shabby thing to the city of Hamilton. Is this over? It's not over. I think that there are uh, numerous possibilities out there on how to get this back on track. And yeah, we're angry. I'm still angry a few days later. Uh, but we've got to suppress that. We've got to move forward. Uh, we've got to start talking to the provincial government again and convince them that, that their decision was a hasty decision. It was based on uh, numbers that were not real. Uh, we need to, to sit down and find alternative solutions to this problem. And I think they're there. In fact, I've asked our infrastructure department um, at Fengate, uh, who is Leuna's investment arm when it comes to infrastructure. They're already working on uh, solutions, uh, financial solutions, on how this can be put together um, with the federal government, with the private sector, uh, with P3s as well. There are ways of doing this. There's no question about it. And that's the most frustrating part because I know that there are a number of ways of doing this. And to come in and just cancel it is ludicrous. Well, what I find interesting about this is uh, had the government simply come and said, look, at, uh, we're kind of concerned about cost overruns here. Uh, 1.3 is our, well, that's our limit. You guys have to find the rest. That, that might have been troubling to us, but, but doable. Of course. Instead of simply saying we're not going to do the project. Of course. And, and, and that would have been an intelligent way to handle this, to say, look, we can't afford, because of our budget constraints, we can't afford more than $1.3 billion. We have these numbers that show that it's 5.5, so we need to find a solution here. I would have bought into that kind of a conclusion and say, look, I don't blame them to be concerned if, in fact, someone's come up with $5.5 billion. But let's sit down and, first of all, dissect those numbers and figure out if it's apples to apples. And then let's figure out how we can mitigate this. How can we fix this? How can we come up with more funding in order to get this done? This is not just a rail line. A lot of folks don't understand this. This is an economic development play. This is a huge economic development play because all of the construction that is going to go on along the LRT line, all the buildings that are going to be built, the residential structures that are going to be built are all going to be paying taxes to this community. And so it's not just the jobs that it creates, but it's the income that is going to come into the city. And how about all the infrastructure that's going to be created because you're going to rip up the street and finally we're going to get fiber optics, we're going to get new infrastructure into the city, which we desperately need. You know, Lock Street, we still had uh, wooden sewers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's time that we, that, that we modernize our infrastructure in the city, and this was the perfect opportunity to do it downtown. That's one of the things that uh, was a head-scratcher for me when I had the minister on the program yesterday, Joe. I, I asked her, I said, in these estimates, and you know, you're not going to show it to us, but at least explain this to me, uh, did you include revenues? And they didn't. 
Well, and and you've been involved in construction all of your life. I mean, you've seen this happen. It's, it's a pretty shoddy way to put a report together if you don't include the fact that the revenue will be generated. We know revenue is going to be generated. The, obviously, there's the, the fare box is going to be part of it, but there's going to be the economic development revenue, which is going to create the money to pay for some of the offsetting costs. It, uh, I, I just know that from the conversations I've had with you and Rudy Spalacci and other people that do these sorts of things for a living. Uh, I, I can't understand why the ministry is is blind to that fact. Well, I'm not so sure that they're blind to it. I think it's contrived. I, I think that the revenues were purposely left out of the equation. I think operating expenses were included uh, in order to pump up the numbers. I think that's the problem with this whole scenario is that most folks who understand the industry understand that, that this was not done uh, by just looking at at the cost of the LRT and, and what the revenues will be and, and what the long-term implications are. This was padded in order to make the project unattainable. And so that's the problem here is that when you manufacture numbers, and look, I can hire 10 consultants and they're going to give me 10 different results. So we all know how that works. And that's what's happened here with this independent study. They've come up with numbers that they needed in order to kill the project. And so what we need to do right now is dispel that by looking at the numbers. We want them. I think the city of Hamilton is entitled to know exactly what those numbers are, what they mean, and then we can tell the public that we've been hoodwinked here because the numbers aren't real. Uh, they've walked back on other things that they've, they've instituted and uh, you know, because of public pushback, and, and that has to happen in this situation. It can't just be anger. I mean, uh, you know, when whoever is going to make that phone call, whether it's going to be somebody from city council or somebody from the, the, the business world or the consortium, uh, they better have a plan B. Uh, because obviously the, the government doesn't. But they have to be a player in this, don't they? The Abs province still absolutely. has to be a player. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And I think that the anger will subside in the next few days. And I think the most uh, uh, intelligent thing that we can do as a community uh, is come together and start looking at Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, and present a number of these plans to the provincial government. Uh, let them save face as difficult as that may feel right now, let them save face that their numbers weren't correct, weren't accurate, and here are new numbers that take a whole bunch of different things into account, and let's build this LRT with real numbers here uh, and expectations that the community has that, that it's going to come in on budget, even with a contingency. Everybody builds in a contingency uh, of maybe a few hundred uh, million dollars on top of what the real number is, because you might go over in certain areas. God sure. knows what you're going to find when you dig and rip the ground up. But that's a smart way to do it. So we know roughly this is the number here with a with a, a contingency on top of that. We feel pretty confident based on what the consortiums are telling us as well. Let's move forward with a with a smart plan and not one that we're shooting from the hip. We're just about out of time here. Uh, the consortiums are still on board. They they haven't walked away yet. They have not. They're kind of curious why they can't present their numbers because their numbers are way better than the five point five billion. So it's kind kind of an odd situation that under these circumstances they don't have an opportunity to show us what, what the real numbers are. So this is uh, as far as you're concerned. They, they've hit the pause button here. They have not delete. Well. It sounds like they, they did press the delete button, but I'm not buying it. I think that, that there's an opportunity to put this back on track. 
uh, pardon the pun, but we can do it. And, I, and, I, and we're doing our own studies on this. We've got Fengate and Leuna that's working very closely and working on, on our own studies. And I think some of the consortiums haven't given up and they're working on presenting some numbers as well. I think a task force, uh, I know that the mayor is talking about putting a, a task force together to, to bring the community together and figure out ways of getting this project done. Uh, so I think this is far from being over, uh, but it's a nasty bump in the road. There's no question about it. Absolutely. Joe, as always, thanks so much Thank for coming you. in today and uh, continue good luck. I'm not going to ask you to show your cards just yet, but I know there's more to come on this. And uh, all the best. Merry Christmas to you and the family and everybody down at Leuna. And the same to you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Joe. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, this has been high drama and uh, melodrama, and some would consider farce, I guess, if you want to look at the way that some things have gone. Uh, with the way that uh, this whole thing has gone. And we talked about this with our council uh, panel yesterday, city council panel. Uh, it's it, The easy thing to do here is to blame the province for everything. And there is some blame to be apportioned there for sure. But the way the city council has handled this LRT file over the last 10 years has, has been rather farcical at times as well because of the delays. Some suggesting this thing probably should have been up and running by now, but uh, they haven't even got shovels in the ground. Uh, now uh, we find out in uh, The Spectator today in Andrew Dreschel's column that apparently uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger kept soaring LRT estimates in private meetings with the minister, uh, Carolyn Maroney, secret from council. So was he sidetracked? Was he shocked as, as, as he seemed to be uh, when this announcement was made? Uh, some councillors are, are a little ticked off that the, there seems to be an air of secrecy about this. Brad Clark joins us, city councillor uh, for uh, uh, Stony Creek Mountain. Uh, Brad, first of all, on a busy day, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. Uh, what was your uh, reaction when you heard the revelation today that apparently the mayor has been had meetings and had had discussions with the minister? Well, the first time I heard about it was from Andrew Dreschel. He, yep. he yeah. called me yesterday um, just before lunchtime and asked if I knew anything about these meetings. And I didn't. Nothing had been shared with, with the council or, or with council uh, or with me. And uh, so I was a little bit surprised to hear all of that. And then at 1.30 in the afternoon, council received an email from the city manager with a number of documents attached, and one of the documents was the report that um, the mayor and the city manager and staff received from the MTO and the minister on September 26th. And so that was a little bit disturbing to now see that document in front of me um, and actually hear it from a reporter as opposed to having that information shared with, with, with council. Did you have the opportunity to ask the city manager why the document was withheld? Um, actually, I, I emailed the city manager and the, the mayor and asked that question and received a phone call back around uh, 4.30 in the afternoon from the city manager explaining that it was a judgment call, that they had been asked to sign non-disclosure agreements and that both the mayor and the city manager had declined to do, to do so. And then the information was shared with them, um, but that all, all she could say was that it was a judgment call. And, and I expressed my frustration that if they hadn't signed the NDA, which they didn't, then there, there should have been no reason why they wouldn't have informed council. We, we should have been, we, there was an obligation in my mind that council be informed and be kept up to date. We could have prioritized, we could have strategized, we could have consider the information and figure out where we we could have do, done any number of things with that information back in September as opposed to being completely blindsided in the last few days. Well, and the thing that I think got a lot of people ticked off right now, Brad, is that uh, 
this kind of came out of the blue. Uh, I have been covering this for obviously for the last 10 years. You've been very heavily involved in, in how we should be moving ahead with our transit plan. I know, I know that you've got some concerns about even this, the LRT situation, but it is what it is now. But we, 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 I did not know, and I don't think anybody on council knew, well, maybe except for the mayor now, uh, that the, the province had serious concerns about the costing of this program. But those documents might have come in pretty handy for you guys to have some sort of a, a concept as to what's going on and maybe a, you know, a, 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 a deeper discussion with the ministry about how you could work together on this thing. I mean, early, you're absolutely right, Bill, but early in my, my new term on council, you'll recall that I presented a motion requesting that the ministry share this information with council. So that was a motion that I put forth because I wanted to understand what the acceleration was going to be in terms of, of the cost and who was going to pay for anything over and above $1 billion because all they ever talked about was $1 billion. Mm-hmm. So um, that motion was passed. And then in the last few days when this, all of this news broke with the, the failed press conference and all of that, a number of us were very frustrated and expressed our frustration with the, the, the minister's staff and, and that we were blindsided. And then to find out that while we really weren't, we, we could have known, but we didn't know because it was not disclosed to us by the city manager and the mayor was, was for me, profoundly and utterly disappointing. Can you share anything in those documents? I mean, it's public information. You've got them in your hands right now, or is it still confidential? I mean, uh, it, are, are there serious concerns? Are there cost overruns? Because just about everybody that's that's listened to what the minister had to say when she was on our program yesterday, I uh, don't believe the numbers that they've put forth. The document spoke specifically to Hamilton LRT. The projected numbers in this document uh, were higher than what was presented at the meeting or the press conference or whatever that was, Bill. Um, but the document is still stamped confidential, and Council has a memorandum of agreement with Metrolinks, and in there is a clause about confidentiality. So I'm nervous about being the one that actually releases the information to the broader public without having that disclosure. Be that as it may, uh, the potential impact on procurement is already out there because the, the Ministry has talked, the Minister has talked about, you know, this... $2.8 $2.8 billion for capital and the financing and all of the numbers were already released to the broader public. So that's the impact that we'll have on procurement going forward. Let me ask you something, because you've been on the other side of this uh, ball for a, a while. I mean, Carolyn Marooney basically has your old office at Queen's Park. I mean, that was a job you did uh, in government as a cabinet minister. A couple of things about this that I wanted to get your read on, first of all, Brad. It was this idea that apparently, according to, uh, to Andrew's story, that the mayor and the city manager were asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Is, is that usual? No, sir. Have, have you ever heard of it? Highly, in my time, I've never heard of it. I never did it. I can't speak to... I, I, I'd be speculating as to why the minister or the MTO was asking for an NDA. It sounded like, uh, for my... There was a, a trust concern. Um, but at the end of the day, the NDA was not signed... The document was still provided to the mayor and the city manager, and they could have gone to an in-camera meeting and presented that information to council. I, I mean, on a, from a protocol standpoint, it's almost insulting, isn't it, that they would ask them to do that? Yes, because at the end of the day, the, the municipal councillors have the same obligations and responsibilities as a provincial minister or provincial uh, MPP. So um, 
when when we sign agreements that indicate confidentiality, we have to honor those agreements because there are penalties if you breach those agreements. And so to have an NDA requested, in my opinion, regardless of whether or not there was a trust concern, um, was highly in, in, insulting to the city of Hamilton. Well, and it kind of, uh, I suppose, goes towards maybe the attitude that the government has towards this, which I find very, very troubling in and of itself. But had that information been shared with you, and let's put this in context again for our listeners, uh, you mentioned that this document was dated, what, late September? September 26th. Yeah, okay, so here we are, you know, in December now, almost at the end of the year. How helpful would that information, how helpful would that have been to you as a counselor and to the rest of your council colleagues to have that information in hand at that time? Well, Council, I would assume, and I'm speculating, but I would assume that Council would have taken that information um, and tried to verify the information. But more importantly, if Council was determined to proceed with LRT and didn't want it to, 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 to reject it outright based on that information, then they could have begun a very serious search for additional funding sources. They could have reached out to the federal government confidentially, explaining the situation and trying to, to gather. So we could have done a lot of things that we never had the opportunity to do. So I think that's, that's unfortunate uh, for the city. Um, we could have looked at the numbers and said, wow, uh, if the feds aren't going to cough up, you know, a billion and a half dollars, then we're really in a jackpot here. Let's go back to the province and now negotiate and say, well, here's what we'd like to do with, with the money. Can you top it up in some degree? We could have done any number of those things, but we weren't given that opportunity, unfortunately. Well, in other words, you weren't going to just sit on this information. That, that would have been an action item that you had to respond to. It, it, it would have been um, incredibly irresponsible to sit on the information and not act on it as a council. If we had the information, we would have been able to act on it. We could have made some decisions. We could have tried to, to find alternatives and options to, to maximize the impact for the city of Hamilton and, 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 and minimize any negative impact to our taxpayers. Well, because there's um, already been some discussions, Brad. I mean, we'd already talked about a shortened route or about, you know, changing, you know, doing something. It, it was a malleable document. It wasn't, it's got to be this way or no way. Uh, but it seems as if that's what the government was looking at. I mean, there, there could have been a plan B and a plan C developed if you had time. Well, the, the sole capital costs where they're projecting it to be $2.8 billion just on capital, not financing and all the other the stuff that was included, is disconcerting. I mean, I had expected anywhere from $1.5 to $2 billion, which was double the bill, mm-hmm. and we would have had problems as a municipality finding $300 million, let alone $500 million or half of a billion dollar um, uh, increment. Um, and I'm not sure if the federal government would be on, but we never had that opportunity. And so now we're in a situation where it's cancelled and and there's a billion dollars on the table. And I think we have to contain our our hyperbole and contain our anger and and start to look at the billion dollars and and really start to strategize, well, what can we do with this money? Uh, What's reasonable? What has the biggest impact for the city of Hamilton? Those are the things that, that we need to look at. Um, and and I, I know a number of the councillors are already started to moving move in that direction in their mind. It's, I know you can't speak for your council colleagues in this regard, but from your personal standpoint, uh, is LRT dead? I mean, Joe Metzenelli was just here a couple of minutes ago and says that he doesn't think so. He thinks there's still an opportunity after the dust settles here for us to have a, a meaningful discussion with the province and, as you said, other partners as well. If is I, it I worth I pursuing? Look- 
Yeah, if I look solely at what their projected costs were for capital of $2.8 billion, and I'm assuming that maybe that's overstated and, and it's closer to $2 billion, even if it was $1.5 billion, the, the city was going to struggle to try and make this work because we don't have $300 million to throw into LRT. And on top of that, they're saying that the operating costs was not going to be the 8 to $10 million a year. It's, it was closer to $30 million a year. And I think what they've included in that, when I'm reading the documents, is it's likely they've included in uh, the fact that we don't have the ridership to actually fund LRT, so there has to be some subsidy to the operations for a period of time. Um, so those are our big numbers that the municipality could not possibly absorb. So I don't think LRT is going to happen, and I think that we need to really look at what can we do. That, that billion dollars, we could, we could be the first municipality in the country to electrify our entire HSR fleet and put in the blast network and still have money left over from the billion dollars. So there's a, there's a lot of things that the city could do um, to show a real leadership role and, and, and seize that money and move forward. Um, and I'm hoping that council will be able to to have a really good substantive discussion um, without any hyperbole and just move forward. You know, as as I'm getting this information from you, and I appreciate your your, your candid responses to this stuff, Brad. Uh, it it just just dawns on me. This is a conversation that you and I, and for that matter, city council, should have had back in September 26. Not now. I agree 100. percent I mean, as you saw that information yesterday, when that you finally see, did see these these reports. I, I gotta think these numbers put. They, they threw up red flags all over the place for you. Uh, it, initially, I was angry, and, and I try not to get angry. But initially, I was angry, and it took me a few hours to just get that out of my head, and then start to figure out exactly what happened, why did it happen, and I still don't have a legitimate reason. But it was a lost opportunity for us. That was many months that we could have been strategizing and developing options and negotiating with the province, as opposed to now being behind the eight ball. The, can- the LRT is now canceled, and and we're quite literally playing to the tune of of the provincial government. Well, and therein lies the problem. I mean, what happened on Monday was a farce. I mean, the way the, the government handled it, the province handled it, was farcical. Uh, but the very fact, it's embarrassing when they come in and say, by the way, you're not getting the money anymore, we're not doing the project. That didn't need to happen if this information had been acted upon back in September. And, and as I say, it was embarrassing uh, for me um, because I was critical of the minister um, for not um, keeping council informed. And then I find out, well, she actually did try to do that. In all your years in government, has it ever been beneficial to simply sit on information rather than act on it? No, it's been my experience that the best public policy, the best outcome comes out. As soon as you have that information, you start working on the information and you seek out experts to assist you and and find alternatives and options and have uh, real good faith discussions with the senior level of government. Had we done that, I think the numbers might have been different. It might have been more than a billion dollars. We don't know, but we weren't given that opportunity. To your knowledge, did anybody act on this? Were there discussions between the city manager in the province or between the mayor's office in the province? I have no knowledge of anything beyond what transpired on September 26th. So as of September 26th, when they had eyes on these numbers, obviously, they they must have at some point been concerned about the numbers and the story that these numbers told. Uh, but what, I, I'm, I'm flummoxed by this. I mean, did they just think the problem was going to go away if they didn't do anything about it? 
you're asking the wrong person. I know, I know. Well, that's yet to be done. I will certainly go down that road. One other thing I want to get on, because I want to talk to you as a counselor about this as well. When we had the discussion with the minister yesterday, with Minister Mulroney, uh, she talked about this task force, which is going to be appointed. And uh, I, I asked what role city council is going to be playing in this situation. It's pretty vague about this. It seems to me, as I'm reading this, uh, Brad, that they're basically going to appoint this this task force. The task force is going to decide basically where they're going to spend the money in our city. Are you comfortable with that as a duly elected uh, official in this community that's supposed to be making those decisions? It's not unusual for Infrastructure Ontario for our Ministry of Transportation to use task forces and, and experts in that regard to assess programming that's being recommended by municipalities. Um, it would be ideal if um, there was someone from the city that was sitting on that task force, perhaps an elected official. Um, I, don't, I don't know what her plans are. At the end of the day, the city will be submitting recommendations um, to the minister. She'll be referring them to the task force. They'll assess them and then make recommendations to the minister. Normally that's all done behind the scenes and no one ever sees it as a task force. But you'd rather have a more transparent process then? I think it should be as transparent as possible. Especially given the information that you just told us today, that apparently it hasn't been as transparent as we thought it was. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it would be ideal if this, this task force, their meetings were public. It would be ideal if, if the presentations that are being made from the city, well, they, they, have, they will be public because they have to be endorsed by council. Um, and then ultimately the task force would go away and make some determinations and, and, and come back with some recommendations to the minister. I think given where we are and given the controversial nature of the project and the decision that was just made, uh, it would be wise for the government of Ontario to err on the side of caution and be as transparent as possible in the process. Well, another day and another twist in this story. It's rather bizarre. We'll certainly continue to follow it. Brad, thanks as always for your uh, your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. If I don't see you, Merry Christmas to you and your family and your listeners. And to you too, Brad. Thanks so much. Thank City Council Brad Clark. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, yeah, food sounds fabulous, but uh, boy, the price tag for all the stuff that you're just singing about there is, uh, well, it's rising at an incredible rate, and most Canadians are starting to notice it now. I mean, you know, you'd see a, an odd little bump in prices at the grocery store, and it's an inconvenience. Now it's, for many people, becoming a, a real problem. And that's been validated by a study that was done uh, by uh, the folks at Dalhousie University. They've understood now that a majority of Canadians think that food prices are actually rising faster than household income, and uh, they're right. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Sylvain Charlebois, who is the lead researcher and professor at Dalhousie University. Professor, thank you for the time. Glad you could join us today. Not a problem. You've uh, you've validated and I think underscored what a lot of us have been feeling for the last little while. The prices are rising, uh, and it's it's becoming problematic for a lot of Canadians. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, well, we were uh, aware that Canadians uh, uh, did notice that prices, uh, food prices uh, were going up. But uh, we didn't expect uh, that kind of result. Uh, in fact, so we did ask Canadians whether or not they felt that uh, food prices were rising much faster than their own income. Eighty-seven percent of Canadians actually believe so, which is uh, much, much higher than we were expecting. And so uh, what, th- what this means essentially is that there is a growing number of consumers that are walking into a supermarket or a grocery store feeling a little bit more vulnerable financially as a result of what's been happening the last few years. 
Well, I'm a bellwether for you, Professor, because I'm mean, <laughs> I'm one of those guys that always walked into a store. If I needed bread, I'd get bread. I didn't pay much attention to what it costs or anything else. I need I got the now I'm paying attention because you start looking and say, "Whoa, really for that?" Uh, and and you, yeah. it's it's becoming an issue now for an awful lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're doing it. Uh, you've been doing it for a while to educate yourself. Uh, yeah. Probably for the longest time, you had no idea how much bread costs, or carrots, or tomatoes, or anything like that. So, and now you're starting to create. Um, generate some mental benchmarks uh, for yourself uh, in your mind as you walk into a grocery store. So you'll you'll have an idea how much you should be paying for, uh, say, tomatoes or cucumbers in April versus October. And, and as as we talk more about food prices, uh, you are going to have a much more educated marketplace. But there are still a staggering number of people who show up at the grocery store without a strategy. They well, just show up, and and there's there's no information. They have no information. They have no list. They have no discipline, and and that's how you basically end up spending way more than than when you're supposed to. Well, and exactly, and you start looking at your bank account and say, how come it's costing me more than? And and you, with this report, you've actually kind of boiled this down to a mathematical exercise. I mean, uh, the 1.9 percent food prices rose 3.7 percent, but the cost of living inflation rather was 1.9 percent. So it's it's almost double. Uh, eventually, that's going to catch up with us. Absolutely. So for the last three years, uh, the food inflation rate in Canada has exceeded the actual general uh, inflation rate. And 2020 is likely not going to be different. And so uh, so uh, that adds up. And so that's why people are starting to see a huge difference, and they're starting to be a little bit more careful. Uh, what was uh, what was neat with this survey, and and as you probably know, uh, we actually have published Canada's food price report for the last decade, but we've never actually surveyed Canadians uh, about about what they intend to do to offset the effects of food inflation. So we asked them, well, what's what are you going to do to save money? And so we got some interesting results, such as, well, <laughs> the, guess what the number one answer was when it, when it, when it came to saving money. Eat less. <laughs> well, second. <laughs> well, I, well, for instance, I know dining out is something that uh, is... Uh, dining out is actually what was the number one. Yeah, I mean, that's what uh, I figure. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot less of that going on now. Yeah, of course. I think everyone promises, uh, promises themselves to eat less the following year, but that never lasts after January. You go to the gym, and then after a couple of weeks, you're done. <laughs> Unfortunately... But eating out really, uh, I mean, it's 36% of your budget. And that percentage is growing every single year. And so if you can actually cut back on eating out, uh, that's great. But here's the deal. If you don't eat out as much, guess what needs to happen? You need to cook more. Mm -hmm. You need to process more foods at home. And uh, for cooking, you need two fundamental things. You need time and knowledge. And for a lot of people, uh, they don't have either. Exactly. And so that's going to be challenging. Exactly. Uh, and, and therein lies the problem. I mean, that's, you know, the old adage, you know, fast food. That's what we like about this. I mean, we're, we're in an, uh, an instant society now, aren't we? We want to eat dinner. I don't want to take an hour and a half to cook dinner. I just want to eat something now and get back to what I was doing. Exactly. The average family will spend about 15 minutes preparing dinner. Uh, on average, whereas 20 years ago, it was more like 30 to 35 minutes. You can see that 
really we have less time to spend in the kitchen. So whatever you're trying to do in the kitchen, it has to be simple. Uh, it has to be quick as much as possible. You have screaming kids perhaps around you uh, wanting to actually be fed before going to a hockey game or whatever you're doing. So it really our modern lifestyle is, is, is changing our expectations. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing all the things we're doing. But it doesn't come at a cost when it comes to the kitchen and cooking. Well, we get nailed by that, don't we? As you say, the lifestyle. I mean, if you've got small kids, I mean, it's uh, soccer practice or hockey practice or, or any number of different things that they could be doing It's at a rec center. Uh, then, you know, the, the, the yoga classes and what else is going on. Maybe you're taking night courses. We don't do much sitting down as a family, you know, and saying, okay, let's prepare a big meal. Maybe, maybe on a Sunday. I mean, that used to be the big day when we were kids. Uh, there would exactly. always be a, a net, but we don't. We're just so busy now with all these sorts of things that we're looking for something quick. Exactly. In 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 one week from today, I would bet you there are a lot of people who will receive a cookbook as a Christmas gift. Uh, I would I would I would certainly be curious to know how many will actually read the cookbook, let alone use it. <laughs> That's good. so. Because cookbook sales are actually breaking records these days. Uh, all the, all publishers will tell you if you want to actually publish a gold mine, publish a cookbook. I but know nobody but, uses them. Well, <laughs> but they look great on the shelf. Uh, the other element to this too, though, is is you know we've I think all of us tr- try anyway uh, to to eat properly and you know nutritious foods as opposed to the junk food etc but some of the highest price increases according to this are actually with fruit and vegetables a seven percent increase over last year that's that's substantial yeah and people noticed so the three categories that have attracted a lot of attention and and prices are quite volatile uh, for fruits vegetables and, and meat products in fact uh in in our report this year we are expecting we are forecasting meat prices to go up by as much as six percent so meat lovers out there, uh, be very careful, be very diligent. I mean, there are sales every single week. You just need to notice them and, and be careful when you actually visit the meat counter. Well, and they're in, I mean, it, part of it's our climate, I guess. I mean, we have a pretty short growing season here. I think a lot of us like this this concept of earth to table. In other words, if you're going to buy vegetables or even fruit, uh, you want to buy it locally. You want you know, so and and that's supposed to. Uh, I, I would think it'd give you a lower price because obviously the transportation costs aren't factored in as much as if you're getting your tomatoes from Mexico or someplace else. But it, it doesn't seem to be that much of a bargain anymore. You're still paying a substantial amount of money for them. Well, it's down to competition and, and context and, and seasons. And I mean, there's still a lot of people out there who don't even know uh, what's in season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like from from April to say fall, uh, October, November. I mean, there are products that are in season that you can buy at a bargain, but they don't know. I, I mean, grocers are starting to be uh, more cognizant uh, of the fact that people are trying to save money, and and also they're trying to save uh, the environment or help the environment. Um, for example, uh, both Sobeys and, and Metro. Uh, have launched an app or, or partnered with an app called Food Hero and Loblaw partnered with uh, Flash Hero. You can go online, you can go and use these apps, bid for food that are about to expire. You can save anywhere between 25 to 60%. And, and so instead of actually going into a store and go to that dodgy corner of the store where there's a 
our shelves with products that are about to expire and it shows 50% off, you can do it online and bid for these products as a, 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 at, a at a discount. Yeah, so I mean, that used to be the old trick. going on there. Yeah, you get the dented cans or whatever it was, and you get a few bucks exactly. off. That, that's a, and that was one way to do it. Uh, what, what about the other option that I, I'm, I'm hearing from an awful lot of people, and this is just anecdotal. I mean, you've done the research on this stuff, Sylvain. Uh, of, of, I mean, instead of going to some of the, the bigger stores, the, the, the discount grocery stores uh, seem to be a lot busier than they used to be. They, they're, they're looking for that, you know, that little edge to save even a buck or two. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even dollar stores are making a buck, no pun, uh, selling food. Did you know that dollar stores in Canada are selling for over $2 billion worth of food now in Canada? Wow. It's, it's unbelievable. And that's growing by about 5 to 6% a year now. And so people are looking for different places uh, to to get a bargain. That's that's And, of course, uh, discount uh, stores are becoming more and more popular as well, in particular in Ontario, by the way. Ontario uh, is filled with bargain hunters, uh, very active bargain hunters. What about coupons? I mean, a lot of people used to use those. Are they are they back in vogue now because of this? They're in vogue, they're in, vogue in some parts of the country, particularly in Quebec. What I would say to your listeners, don't be shy, use them. They're, it's free money. And uh, and all you need to do is to do your homework before you show up at the store, and you use them on site. There was a, a lady I actually spoke to last week. She showed up at a, at a pharmacy to buy food and different products. Uh, the bill that she had to pay was $805 using a coupon. She only had to pay $3.03. Wow. And on top of that, uh, some uh, loyalty points were added to her card. <laughs> yeah, because but we can save a lot of money. But a lot of people are getting into that right now. I mean, you know, you buy gas and you get a coupon for a discount or you know anything like this. So they're, they're working collaboration with each other now to try to, uh, to to drag those consumers in. But you've got to be loyal to that brand, I guess, if you're going to take advantage of that. Exactly. There is a myth out there saying, well, the the, the extreme couponing phenomena is an American one only. It's not. You can actually do it. If you actually tool yourself correctly, you can do it in Canada as well. So we're stuck with the rising prices. That's not going to go away. And I, I know that I'm, I'm going to get emails already and say, see, that's that carbon tax again, which does factor into this, by the way. I, I understand that. that you know, uh, it's, it's... The arithmetic is not clear. I know I, I've had a lot of tweets and emails since yesterday uh, blaming the carbon tax, yeah. uh, it's not entirely clear. So I'll, get, I'll I'll use BC as an example. BC has had a carbon tax since 2008, and we've been watching uh, the food inflation rate in BC for a decade. We see zero, no evidence that the carbon tax has actually had an impact on food prices at retail, at least not yet. Now, that's at $50 a ton. Uh, there are some discussions around uh, perhaps a $210 a ton uh, tax uh, to to allow Canada to match uh, its Paris uh, Agreement targets. Yeah, that would be a different ballgame, I would say, because uh, if you are to quadruple the current carbon tax, say from 50 to 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 $210, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there would be an impact. And that's instructive because, as you know, we're having the, that debate here in Ontario. It was just instituted, of course, earlier this year, uh, much to the chagrin of the of the, uh, the Ford government here. But uh, 
uh, there's always, you know, we're hearing these points about how it's going to impact this and this and this and that, and, and it's instructive to actually look at a place that's already had it in place for about the last six, seven years uh, and, and get a readout on that. And uh, you're right, though. I mean, inevitably, that's going to increase as well when the carbon pricing increases. But there are other pl- things at play here as well. It, when we, it, It's a matter, I guess, we have to be more judicious, I guess, and just shop. And, and I'm, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, I'm even starting to do that. Uh, you know, instead of just running in and saying, okay, I want to get this, I'll just go and buy what the first thing. You do look at prices now, and I see yeah. when I go to the grocery store, Sylvain, I mean, I'm I'm one of a lot of whole bunch of people that have got their phone out there, and here's the list. Okay, I better get this. No, not that one. It has to be this brand because it's cheaper. We're looking for those bargains now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I think we you, you just need to strategize a little bit more and and be clear in, in terms of what you what you need the other thing of course that you need to keep in mind is as you walk out of the grocery store if you look at your cart or bags that you're carrying take 30 or 8 percent of what you're carrying and throw it in the garbage that's basically how much we waste on average <laughs> every single time we visit the grocery store we're buying too much food basically or we don't manage our inventories well at home uh, or we over uh, we uh, we overanalyze our needs, I guess, as we go through the grocery store. If you're a little bit more careful, if you bring down that 38 percent to say 20 percent, you can save a lot of money. Well, yeah. And how many times have we looked at something in the back of the fridge and say, "Gee, when did I buy that?" But and, or maybe more importantly, why did you buy that if you didn't have? Well, a, if it if it if it walks out on its own, <laughs> then you'll know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is uh, listen. Where can people get the information? Is this up online? Yeah, it's up online on our uh, website. So you just go to www.dal.ca, and you'll end up. Uh, you'll be able to find the uh, AgriFood Analytics Lab website, and uh, the report is right there, along with Canada's food price report, which was released two weeks ago. Excellent. Oh, listen, I got one question here for you. I just got an email from one of our listeners who's listening to the conversation here. Uh, and uh, ask if you've got much responsible people that use flyers before they go shopping. Uh, if they, if if it's okay to use flyers before going yeah, shopping, are, are more people doing that? That's the well, uh, Joe. Oh, Joe is his name. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it is it is common practice, and the the problem that uh, that uh, a lot of uh, grocers are facing right now is that we're seeing provinces trying to cut back on the use of paper. Yeah. So, uh, so anybody out there trying to use uh, flyers, you may want to get used to digital flyers instead of the actual paper version, because I think they're on their way out. Yeah, I've seen. I noticed that too. I mean, if you know, if you want to see what's going on at Sobeys and what the specials are, just you know, just Google Sobeys, and the, the flyers usually they're on the page now, isn't it? Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. So Quebec, right next door to you guys. They're actually going to be using an opt-in sort of policy for flyers. So you, you would actually have, go on a website, and if you want flyers delivered to your door, you would have to opt-in instead of opting out. So grocers are concerned about that for sure. I wouldn't be surprised one day if Ontario does the same thing. And so you just, just want to get used to going online and, and, and use apps that actually get all the flyers in one space so you can actually compare prices from one grocer to another. Great idea. Sylvan, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today. Great talking with you. Well, Merry Christmas to you guys. And to you too, Sylvain. Sylvain Charlebois, of course, lead researcher and a professor at Dalhousie University. 
The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.